Goodness gracious, that's a good song. Terry Allen, Dogwood. Um, I can't believe what's happening, really, with this whole thing. It was a, it was a shot. Now, I'm going to start this. We're going to start uh, called Man Child. And everybody's like, oh, okay, weirdo. And uh, it, we, the guests that we have had, we don't deserve them. We do not deserve the guests that we have been able to have on this podcast. It's, it's, in, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. And this one is no different. It might be the most absurd. For this guy to give us the time of day that he gave us, Jesse Griffiths, Chef Jesse Griffiths, he is the owner, the operator, the the chef of Die Dewey. It's a restaurant in uh, uh, Austin, Texas. He it's it's it, it's the hardest thing in the world. Think about restaurants. Oh, it's so hard to own a restaurant. Well, say you're only going to serve ingredients that you can get. Locally, which yeah, lots of it's a big hipster thing, and we talk about that, about not you know being just uh just being cute and saying it's all locally sourced. This guy is if they don't have it and it's out of season, not that they don't have it, it's out of season. They don't put it in the restaurant. It's literally like making a new restaurant every few months. He's incredibly humble. He's incredibly gracious. I I could not have enjoyed this conversation more. If you don't know who he is, you just stop right now. You get on the old Google, you do the Google, Jesse Griffiths, Griffith with an S, and you look up what this guy is all about and what he's trying to do. And, and guys, it's it's fantastic. Okay. Um, so as we get into this, I just I don't want to I don't want to waste a lot of time because I want you to jump right into this conversation. Um, he's 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 been extremely affected by this stupid virus. The restaurant is, is takeout only right now, and, and Godspeed that we get a get this thing handled and straightened out so he can get his doors open the way they need to be. But he's a James Beard Award nominated chef. He's he's a, he's a, his his book, A Field, was nominated for a James Beard Award. Which if you don't know what that is, it's like winning an Oscar. It's like being not for the Academy Awards of cookery. All right, and he does. And, he, and, he's, and he's, he's combining his, his outdoor life, his outdoor pursuits um, with the way. And the other thing is I asked him, because I didn't know. I, you know, obviously you've been, you know, where did you train to be a chef, to be of this caliber and all the sort of stuff you're doing with food? He said, I did not, which makes me like this guy even more. Listen, I, you know, I'm, I, I fell hard for Jesse. I'm telling you guys, he's probably, you know. That guy's a weirdo, a man-child, but uh, goodness gracious, I'm a fan. Okay, I am a, I am a big fan, and I think that you will be as well after you hear this conversation uh, because he's just that good, and he's that down-to-earth, and he's that cool. All right, I don't know. I don't know much about. We do a lot of outdoor talking on this show about hunting and fishing and going outside and going on big adventures and guess what here's the secret i'm not that good at it okay i'm not i don't know everything i don't i can't tell you all the good 
lures to use on certain days and all that stuff because frankly it's not what it's about for me and there was a real common thread that I've found in talking to Jesse that it's not about that with him either okay and uh, it's about it's about sharing these experiences with people and and really about making dinner for people you care about and making and putting a ton of effort into it you know let's get back to effort being how we tell people we love them and that's what Jesse does for a living all right he puts great effort into food that people can enjoy and experience and also he's a teacher um he's got a we get into how he has a school um he teaches if you don't know like a lot of times I get real I get I get nauseated by people trying to just show and show off and tell everybody how much they know about something and they they try to be very intimidating and it's stupid all right if you have an ego it's because you're scared of something and you need to see a therapist all right and we're all we're all tempted to have an ego and and just to say stupid things to people and make fools of ourselves and we all put our foot in our mouth at the time but may we all be more aware of it and may we treat each other better and the people that maybe are not f- as far down a path to s- a certain pursuit as you are, may you take them under your wing and teach them how to do something and they will forever appreciate you for it. Anybody that's taught me how to do something when I was just floundering about as a fool, I appreciate you. All right, And there are many, many, many people because I am a fool about much. Okay? Uh, as we get into this episode, thank you. If you bought something from the man child, uh, thank you. Those shirts are printed up and they are hitting the mail this week. As long as there is still the mail, I'm not getting into all that. That's ridiculous. Okay. We appreciate you supporting the, uh, the brand to, if you, if you are interested in what we got going on, go online, check it out. And, uh, themanchildmedia.com slash store. Look it out. You know, less honking, more tonking has become very popular, especially in the Western states. We've seen a lot of guys uh, grabbing that up and gals. Um, The Struggle Shaka is now live. Check it out. All right. Enough with the advertisement. I know. Okay, let's get right into it. Love you guys. I hope you're doing well, and I hope that you enjoy this conversation. Let's go. What you know about me? Welcome back or welcome to the Man Child Podcast, the podcast about the essential need to struggle. Guys, I'm 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 freaking out here. All right. One of my heroes is uh on the podcast right now on the line, Mr. Jesse Griffiths, Chef Jesse Griffiths. Um thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you. I appreciate that bombastic intro and I hope that I was or live up to those expectations. It's well, very kind of you to have me on. Absolutely. It's very kind of you to give us the time. Uh, if people do not know about you and your work, I, I love to give the opportunity so that I don't just say what, what you do. How would you describe to people what it is you do, what you're about, 
your 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 livelihood, all those things. Uh, sure, um, I'll I'll kind of give everything in the uh, uh, historical sense, and then I'll update into the uh, more COVID-based sense of what we're doing. But uh, we started um, a supper club about 14 years ago called Daidue. Um, that's an Italian phrase, it means from the two, um, and the two referring to the two kingdoms of nature. Um, and with this supper club, which was kind of a roving dinner series, we served uh, only local products uh, for a meal. Um, it would be a pretty extravagant, drawn-out meal. Um, but it was more of an adventure in sourcing, or as much adventure in sourcing as it was in cooking as well because in central texas we had to we had to just allocate everything uh from from local farmers foraging um ranchers and so forth uh eventually we wound up at the farmer's market started selling there um and then we started offering classes uh under the banner of the new school of traditional cookery which was a or is a uh, a mostly hunting and fishing oriented uh cooking school where it's kind of full circle we take you out uh on a on a hunt or or fishing and then uh teach the 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 processing of game and fish all the way through to packaging and storage things like that so butchery cooking uh very in-depth very personal um and then we opened uh the first restaurant daidue uh almost um six years ago to the day uh, I think uh, tomorrow will be our six-year anniversary, but it's hard to keep track with that stuff these days. Um, we opened the restaurant, uh, and we followed the, the same protocols with sourcing, where we'd bring in everything locally, so all of our dairy and meat, vegetables, um, fish, olive oil, things like that, uh, were, were as locally sourced as possible, Um you know, we'd run out of a lot of products at certain times of year. Like we would have onions or lemons, things like that, um, in order to maintain those kind of strict uh, sourcing protocols. Uh, then we opened a smaller restaurant uh, a couple of years ago, a little taqueria, where we were uh, grinding our own corn, making our own tortillas, and serving uh, mostly uh, wild, like true wild game, but in taco format there. So uh, overarching, yeah, I mean, it's just a, a lot of very simple food, grilled over wood, a lot of wild game, a lot of uh, fish out of the Gulf, uh, very local vegetables, just all treated uh, with a lot of respect. And uh, um, it's fun, you know, it's just like it's real food. And um, also we have a component where we get to connect with people, uh, take them hunting and, and expose them to that and hopefully teach them some skills that they can take away for the rest of their lives i mean it doesn't get more real than that it doesn't get more involved in the food process of of obtaining it and where you got it and what it is and making it into what you want and sharing it with people but it it can't get any harder than that i mean you, you literally have made a commitment to only use what's in your region, in your restaurant. It's hard enough. It's the hardest thing in the world to have a restaurant, especially right now, and we'll get into that. But then to say we're only going to have things that are in season and we're only going to have things that are in season here, I mean, how does – it's like having a new restaurant every three days. How does that even – how did you – where does the conviction to do it like this come from? 
Well, uh, you know, the the logistics of it, I think, are are mostly in educating the customer or letting them know, being very upfront about uh, how we operate. So, you know, our servers would communicate that very openly. Even the floor plan of the restaurant lends itself to telling a story where you walk in and there's a butcher counter where we sell cuts of meat. Uh, there's a open prep area where you can see everything. And 100% of the prep in the restaurant happens there. Um, and you can see it all. It's right there. It's at no point are you more than 15 feet away from it. You can see everything um, vividly. And then there's an open line with a big wood-burning hearth and then the bar and then a big open dining room. So even the transparency of the dining room, it's like shows you like this is how we're operating. We're not hiding anything. You can't, you don't see cans of food or anything like that. It's all fresh product and it's, it's pretty much open to see. Um, and then also communicating one by one with customers. And we've done that um acutely with each customer that comes in the door but also we, we've had the advantage of being around for 14 years and we built our name on being uh, um, a food provider that only sources locally and you know a lot of restaurants say oh we source locally but it's it's a, it's pretty it's different um, in that we are extremely strict about our sourcing um, and so I, I think that once we built a name off of it, um, people knew how almost severe we were about our sourcing, that we were we didn't have to have the conversation as much because people came knowing that and also trying to develop a reputation of just like serving uh, food, not only from Texas, but Texan food, uh, which can be a lot of different things. You know, it can be uh, Mexican, it can be Vietnamese, it can be German. Um, because all these cultures thrive in Texas right now, which is an incredible blessing for us. Uh, so I think that, you know, the conveying the, the idea is, is difficult, always has been, but um, it, it, it's worth it because the impetus for, for serving food like that is because we wanted to cut supply chains we wanted to develop relationships with our community we wanted to invest in our community we wanted to only spend money with farmers that we felt were doing it right um because we felt like not only is that a dollar invested in that farmer but it's also a dollar not invested in a corporate agribusiness structure that is seeking to defeat the farmer that is doing well so it's almost like two dollars spent um and so uh, we, we, we came to that ideal. Um, you know, I'd worked in restaurants for, for many, many years, and it's so easy to open a big box of the same cut of beef uh, open. You know, you just, and, and there's just 30 pounds of just like a, a tenderloin or something like that. Um, and you can just have as much as you want whenever you want it. And, you lose a lot of the perspective on where all that, that food came from. And in the case of an animal, how that animal lived, how it died, um, and, and all the other things that are so important in choosing food. And when you go with a local provider that you can have a connection with, you can have a conversation, you can ask about their practices, it really enables you to uh, feel 
um, secure about your choices and all of the food that you're bringing into the restaurant and all the food that you're serving uh, to the people who are your guests. Uh, how did you get, you know, like you just mentioned, because that was where I was going next, was the the origin of this conviction to the type of food you're sharing with your guests. How did you get on this trail to where, no, we're going to do it this way, and this is why it's this important to me? How did you, you kind of get into that mindset initially? Yeah, um, and it's easy. Uh, I, I went to Europe. Um, and that said, I could have, I could have probably gone anywhere outside of the United States, uh, with, with a few exceptions, but, um, I, I went, well, basically I went to a place where food was cherished, um, and the food that was made in that area was food that grew in that area. And so the food that grew there created the food culture. So if you, for instance, have, if you're in the southwest of France and you have access to walnuts and ducks and eels out of the river um, and tomatoes and onions and potatoes, if that's just what grows there, then eventually that's going to define your cuisine. And it does. So when you're in that part of France, that's the kind of food you get. And they have absolutely perfected it. You could take that same example to uh, Thailand. Or, or India, or anywhere, basically, the Ukraine, Finland, I mean, Peru. And it's, it's all kind of the same in that whatever grows there defines that culture. But the United States was totally different in that we, for a while at least, before we industrialized, we, we, our great-great-grandparents lived like that and there were certain regional cuisines and cultural around food but then eventually we got to the point where we could have whatever we wanted whenever we wanted it why so the disconnect do you believe the disconnect with our food in, in the united states came because things became so good or where do you think like what's the theory behind why our regions no longer define the food we consume well, I mean, yeah, in a way it is because we're so good. I mean, I know that my grandmother welcomed post-World War II, welcomed being able to open a can and have vegetables rather than prizing getting green beans fresh from a garden that she had to tend and guard guard from rabbits and, and so forth. So that's, that seemed to be a cultural improvement at the time. But what it did is it it devastated our our sense of regional culture, which is defined by regional ingredients. And so it kind of killed or at least retarded the sense of food culture in the United States. Um, whereas other countries that were older than us uh, had been able to ingrain those, those traditions so heavily into their own culture that there was still a sense of pride around them and that's what i saw in europe in france and spain and italy is like and even when you travel within those countries you see kind of you know micro regional representations of culture and food and i i saw that i i ate that and the real the simplicity of the ingredients and then coming back to texas with just the thought of 
well, why can't we, why can't we be proud of our ingredients and why can't we embrace, uh, the same things that they embrace and their traditions. Cause there, I'm not saying that there aren't any traditions. There are most definitely a lot. Um, you know, like in central Texas, it would be smoked meats or, or meat in general. I mean, we right. do meat very well here. Um, you know, this is not a part of the world. Let's, let's say California, uh, where vegetables do very, very well because of the climate. And so food culture in California is going to be more vegetable centric. But if you're in West Texas, there's not a lot growing in the soil. Um, and, but there's goats and doves and deer and hogs and javelina and Turkey and things like that. It's more austere, but it, but it influences the culture and the food that you should be eating just as profoundly and with as much reason as, as, as California. So we decided to just see what we could do by uh, just sourcing our food from this area and to just have some pride in it and be embrace that. Be like, wait a minute, we, we should be proud of what we can produce here. We should support our farmers. Um, we, you know, meat and, and catfish and, and, and peppers and all the traditional ingredients that grow around. I'm sorry, the grow around here uh, should be celebrated. Why did the, I got, I want to get to how you, you, you went out and took the risk that I think people will, will appreciate this enough to where we can have a business out of it. But before I ask you that question, why did the United States become obsessed with convenience and thank God that hard, terrible time was over. And, you know, nobody wants to say, yeah, it should have been that hard. But on the flip side, these European countries were as devastated, if not way more devastated by the world wars, but they seem to have, from your description, doubled down on their food cultures and traditions and the way they consume their food as almost like, they get comfort from that, whereas we just got comfort from removing ourselves from the labor process of consuming the food. Why, why, why this dichotomy of uh, reaction to our experience in the war, in your opinion? Well, I mean, you almost mostly just answered it in that we just chose, we chose a different path because I think I mean, and this is some big picture stuff that we're talking about here. Yeah, this, uh, is, but the, I, I, this I, is the 35,000 foot view. And then I want to go all the way down to Dai Dewey. But like, I, you just got my wheels turning when you're saying I go to Europe and I see them just just perfecting what they have. And then we're like, let's have a food court in the mall. Like, what do you, what's going yeah. on here? Why? Why this yeah. total opposite reaction? Well, I don't know if I have the answer, but, you know, like the, the nature of our country has been based on immigration. Uh, so I think that we we started with with the conglomeration of different food cultures here already. I mean, for 200 years prior to the Second World War um, and more, obviously way more, but um, but profoundly in that last 200 years. But uh, I, I think that you know, just by the sheer nature of all the cultures, and so not not one cemented, solidified culture, um, 
uh, and then a lot of other reasons. I just think that you know America had it has has it's obviously its own personality, um, and I mean it's not to say that Europe didn't also embrace a bit of, um, I mean in the framework of food like con- more conventionally grown things, packaged stuff, mass produced foods. They absolutely did, but they were able to retain their traditions more. And I think that uh, I mean I wish I had more of a kind of profound uh, answer about that but i i don't i don't know if it's that yeah. i mean that's probably a three hour deep dive <laughs> it is right it is yeah i yeah we're gonna melt people's eyeballs in their cars and i don't want to do that <laughs> but well but but seriously it, it's we have such an opportunity in this country because of we're we're all from somewhere else but instead of going all in on you know here's what the italians are doing in this part of town and oh my gosh i've never tasted and here's what the germans are doing to sausages and and briskets and here's what uh here's what hispanic people are doing with with pork carnitas and but instead we just go yeah pizza all right here we go and what do i need tomato sauce okay good and then we it's almost like we appropriate each person's jam and we just have this watered down gross version of it and to where we all think that that's what it is and it's not even close it's not even close to the process of what it the real thing is and maybe it's just because we don't we we have a problem caring enough about each other or or we don't care enough to try that hard i don't know what it is but we're not trying to solve the world's problems, obviously, but it's just something that's very curious, and I think food is such a reflection of where we're at in a society, and you've got really the fattest nation in the world, and we're not enjoying our food. And so right. take me through, this seemed like, I mean, there's people that open up just flat iron hamburger joints and shakes and can't make it how in the world did you say you know what i got a hunch that if we do everything completely sourced from here and we're strict to it to even when people ask us for something we're going to say we don't have it because we don't uh how did you have a the the belief that that was going to work as a restaurant well uh, you know I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the supper club, the roving dinner was very successful in a way of, now how did that start? Well, we just started, uh, it just started with one dinner, uh, served 13 people. And that was in September of 2006. And, uh, it, it went well. And then we did another one and then, you know, fast forward two years and we were doing 40 a year, almost every week, uh, where we'd cook for probably 60 to 80 people at a location, basically loading and unloading all the tables, all the chairs, all the cooking equipment, the plates, the glassware, everything in a, in a spot, um, and cooking on site and then tearing it down at the end of the night. Um, and then, uh, you know, that actually, you know, building that, that answer up like that probably gives you more insight into why we opened the restaurant is because I was so damn tired (laughs) of loading and unloading 80 chairs, um, in a, you know, little Toyota truck in a Chevy van, uh, after working a 14 hour day in the heat. Uh, so, 
uh, we wanted some walls, um, and we did it. And I mean, in, in maintaining the transparency, the, the business has never thrived beyond what I would consider to be success in the vernacular of, of the small businessman, which is survival. Right. Um, so we are still open and we are still open now uh, after the, the last six months, which is kind of astounding to me also. Um, but we've made, been able to just squeak by our profit margins are slimmer than other restaurants because our product is more expensive and we have to make more things uh, than other restaurants do. Uh, you know, we have to make our own soy sauce out of pinto beans and we have to uh, make our own bases for sodas and <laughs> we make our own ketchup and everything like that. We don't do buy ever, cans of tomato. Do you ever, what, when you guys were, and we'll get to the, the COVID related issues that if this is caused but when you were what time of the day did you have to wake up to do this the the supper club no no well okay the supper club but then when the restaurant was cranking well i mean the supper club i had to get up really early because we'd go to i would travel to all three major farmers markets in austin on a saturday morning buy produce and then try to get all that cooked by the dinner that night you know, we usually started at, say, 7. Um, so, you know, I'm up at 7 in the morning gathering produce um, to be able to start serving at 7 p.m. Do you ever feel like, I'm, why am I punishing myself? Like, I, no one would even notice if I just did it this way? Do you ever have that kind of guilty, like, just, come on, what am I doing here? The, ever- well... Certainly, certainly. And, and I think that, you know, as with anything, a little bit of bitterness can creep in when you see other restaurants. Yeah, you better enjoy maybe. these berries, Dick. Going to yeah, 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 right. Uh, or, or you see another restaurant touting themselves as sourcing locally, and I know that they're not. Um, and, you know, we're paying three times as much for our produce, and we're we're having trouble getting it in and uh, it's, you know, a constant struggle with farmers who are not good with communication typically. Um, and it's, you know, it's been an uphill battle, but I I lost most of the bitterness years ago. And the fact I just enjoy what I'm doing. I I see it as something I can do for my community. And my rule is, is I'm not going to feed a guest anything I wouldn't feed my kid. And I'm pretty strict about, you know, what I like to feed her. And so, and, and I feel like we've been well treated by the community for it. Um, we had a dubious business model at best, and we've been able to be successful because I think people have appreciated our honesty and our approach to food. Um, you know, we haven't always got it right, but I, I do feel like um, we, we've had incredible community support and it's also notable that our timing was really good you know we started using the word local in 2006 which is you know slowly coasting up to you know it's it's peak uh where i mean i don't know maybe it's peaked already and it's on the decline the 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 that desire for for all local products um so but 
but we, we came in at the precise right time or early. And so we were able to kind of ride, uh, that wave. And so people became very interested in, in food and procuring their own food. Also, uh, raising their own chickens, going to farmer's markets. Uh, and, and it's an ancillary topic to environmentalism, if that's what you want to call it, or, or just being more aware of resource consumption, things like that. So I think that, uh, the conversations that we were having were, were progressing along with other conversations that people were having about different uh, topics at the same time. So it's very notice, notable that, that our, our timing was just good. And I'm not taking credit for that. I just thought that we got very lucky uh, with yeah, that. I, you know, you, 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 that was kind of right around exactly the explosion. And there was also something that it, you, you, to me, when you start when you start throwing the word around about is this locally sourced, it can get fussy real fast. To where yes. it's and I got a pretty sensitive hipster radar where I just shut down and I don't want any part of it because I'm just like pump the brakes, guy. But you guys have a really um, interesting way that you've towed the line or walked the tightrope to where you are very humble and accessible and and fun to learn from type of people and except for your your conviction is still very very strong whereas you start saying like if it's not a local lemon we're not using it and then, you know there's a lot of people that you can be tempted to roll your eyes at that and the, but there's i guess what i'm saying is you you've seemed to have perfected the not make someone feel like an idiot or uncomfortable or stupid because they don't know everything about this game you're playing and instead invite them in on it and they go, oh my goodness, look what I'm, look, this, this, this experience of eating food and, and getting it and going out and getting it, which I want to talk about momentarily, I've been missing out on a big part of the human experience. And, and it's almost like you're being gracious about it versus telling everybody that they should feel like fools. And I'm very appreciative of that approach. Well, I'm, I'm appreciative that you recognize that. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I think about precisely what you just said, because I think that's very, very true. And I'll preface it with a story about my, my favorite customer interaction that I ever had at the restaurant. I was down in the prep area and uh, I looked up and this older gentleman, probably in his eighties was standing there and he had a button down shirt and blue jeans on and he was wearing a cowboy hat and he looked at me and he said, I know what you're doing here. <laughs> and that's all he said. And he turned around and he walked away and I I knew, I mean, the, the beauty of that scene was not only did he know what he was saying to me, but I knew exactly what he was saying to me, too. There was no ambiguity about it whatsoever. And he was saying, I understand what you're doing here. I know what I know what this food is about. And so that segues into the reasoning or, or, or kind of the execution of, of the story and and there's two parts to that. And one is that we, we tried instead of appealing to some kind of hipster mentality, like you were saying, 
we try to appeal to more of, like I mentioned earlier, your great grandparents' sensibilities mentality, um, which is not, uh, I, I don't think, is, is, is confrontational at all. When we say like, oh, no, we, we're not trying to be modern and hipster about this. We're actually trying to do what, you know, what your great grandparents who lived around here, like how they ate or how they would have eaten had they access to, you know, improved farming methods and more, uh, you know, cultural influences that have, have, have come here, thankfully. And so <clears throat> that coupled with the way that we do most of our menu, which is kind of like comfort food. It's, I mean, we have a fried chicken sandwich. We have a burger. We do pork chops and steaks and very simple salads. And we do mashed potatoes um, and, you know, corn on the cob, uh, beans, collard greens, uh, you know, bacon and ham, biscuits, gravy. Like all the things that we serve are highly recognizable and traditional foods. Now, that's not to say that we don't get out there sometimes too and and pull in other influences, but what we try to do is put all of this very well-sourced food into a context that everybody understands uh, and the quality uh, of food that you, you desire to eat most of the time, or at least I do. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, but you're just serving it with very high quality ingredients, and so we've had cooks come into the restaurant, and uh, they'll they'll leave. They'll they'll work for a couple of weeks, and they're they're like, this is just not a challenge, um, because sometimes they perceive our food to be so simple. And my point to them is like, well, first off, it's like this pork cooking this pork chop is a challenge for for a couple of reasons. First off, is I had to source the thing. I had right. to I had to find my rancher and i and i found it and we are joined at the hip we are never we're never leaving each other but i had to find that person to get that pork chop second you got to cook that thing just right over a fire now you just slap it on a plate and sprinkle some coarse salt on it afterwards i get it there's nothing flashy about it but the fact of the matter is is there's a lot that goes into that pork chop but it, most of it was put in by the rancher, <laughs> yes. you know, yeah. and you have to have the lack of ego to recognize that and focus instead yep. on these small, tedious steps, which is perfecting your fire control, knowing when to turn the pork chop, being able to feel when it's perfectly done and loving doing that for another person. And so, those are the things that I require of you and, and that you and the desire that you want to touch uh, meat that came from an animal that was raised well and that was killed well. And if, if, if that's not your desire, I can't help you. And I think that a lot of that translates really well because, you know, going back to what I said is that, you know, at one, at one point 60 years ago, uh, 80 years ago, uh, you know, the, the local butchers, you know, they cared about what they did. And then the, most of the produce came locally and people cooked and they were providing for their families. And really we're trying to kind of just recapture that sentiment, but with modern techniques, modern, you know, technology and, uh, 
and a more diverse cultural influence, the ideas that float around out there, you can apply to the food here. Uh, you know, I think an idea travels really well, but a tomato doesn't, you know. So yeah. we're able to utilize that from all over the world and recognize the beauty that, that these, you know, a culture like, let's, you know, say Azerbaijan, you know, like there's such beautiful food there. You would never realize it in techniques and that you can absolutely apply those same techniques and flavors, things like that to food here in Texas. And that's where we have the advantage over our great grandparents is that we have all this beautiful produce, meat, seafood, dairy, but we also have, uh, you know, a greater influx of ideas. So I, I think that, uh, you know, trying to just make really good, recognizable, quality food from the heart uh, is appealing. And that's how we've somewhat negated that um, that looking down on people. And I've always felt mm -hmm. like you just, you don't want to preach to people. You want to let them find their own way, which was another reason why the floor plan of the restaurant that I described in the beginning of our, our talk here uh, is, is why I wanted that floor plan to reflect the process so that people could walk in and mostly see for themselves. There's a meat counter. There's a woman cutting up a hog on a table. There's a person cooking a pork chop over a fire. And without us having to go to you and saying, oh, we'd like to tell you all about this process. And, you know, this is the name of the farm and all this. You know, it's like yeah. it's, it's, a, it's yeah. a bad skit. The hog's you know? name was. Yeah, precisely. Emory. Nobody. Yeah, but instead, if someone could walk in, sit down, and in five seconds, you know, extrapolate that entire process through yes. what they they witness, they're going to feel a lot better about that. Well, that's that's not a common uh, trait that you possess. Uh, understanding that, understanding that. Um, we don't need to say it and be preachy and be fussy. They need to see it. And, and you know, because you also appreciate it. And it's the reason why I'm, I'm very much drawn to what you guys are doing is to me, there's nothing more appealing than effort. And, and you know that something took a tremendous amount of effort to do. There's nothing, a, a song by my, my favorite, songwriter in the world jason isbell it's the it's one line it's super simple and you knew it was hell on earth to come up with that line and it the the louisa may alcott little women uh author you know i like good strong words that mean something well you might have a cook that says this isn't hard enough but you guys are you're playing the hits and they might be simple dishes that you know, are, are comfortable for people to live in, but they're not easy. And, and when you do it right, simple, not easy. It's, it's just the, it's the purest form of whatever it is we can consume, whether it's a song, whether it's a, a or a dish. And I think it's really, really, it's, it, it's a talent that you realize that versus just, you know, why don't people want my, whatever, you know, bang, bang, shrimp, fusion, Asian, whatever. And it, no, man, they want really good food that you, that they know 
you've you've put so much time and heart and soul in and and you can taste it you can taste the difference um that is really it's it's as cool as it gets to me that's i'm just glad that there are people like yourself doing stuff like that um, well thank you uh so you where did you learn how I, this is just kind of a blunt question but it's like how'd you learn to do all this did you were you did you go to cooking school did you go to uh, culinary school i did not um i i worked in restaurants since i was 16 uh started out busing and bartending and waiting and then decided i needed to get into the kitchen for the for just some longevity and uh uh, started working in the kitchen, and then uh, I think all credit is due to other people that I that I was lucky enough to work with and under um, and travel, you know, and eating eating food in other places and working it for other people. Um, that you know, you just take a, a, those millions of, of small details and ideas from. Um, and eventually it becomes crafted as somewhat your own. You're like, it's like a distillation. Um, I didn't go to a school, but, um, I still feel like so many people would, would, would need credit for, for my education now. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think also growing up fishing and, and then come into hunting later in life also really fortified, uh, those ideas because you know hunting is is probably the most extreme example of food sourcing that there can be at least for the way that we perceive um i don't know i guess the 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 heaviness of death um right uh, as humans you know like like killing another animal is is kind of the pinnacle of any uh food gathering that you can do and once you've done that it's easy to apply the same kind of uh, uh, stipulations to all the other resources that you consume. Did, wh- how did you get, you said you got into hunting later in your life as an adult or where did you do it as a kid or how'd you get into hunting? Uh, late, uh, as an adult, um, I think I was about 30 uh, when I first started hunting. I'd fished since I was a kid. Uh, but I didn't, I, I didn't grow up in a household that hunted, um, but, but we fished relentlessly, but, uh, uh, definitely wanted to hunt, always wanted, even before I knew that I wanted to, I, I recently, re- recently realized that I just, when I was a kid, I was always out in the woods. Uh, you know, if I wasn't fishing, I was at least playing in the woods. I just need to be in the woods or. Or, or by a river at all at all times basically and it, and then once i started hunting it was like that was almost actualized uh for me and it was like full circle and i realized oh I, this is something that i want to do not to say like uh, last night uh we went out and foraged wild plums um which i enjoy just as much as those other activities too uh, so just being outside so yeah i did come to hunting uh um, specifically later in life. So, and did you just, I, I'm always obsessed with, okay, how'd you, how'd you learn how to do that? Did you, with, with the whole start and finish of, of, of hunting, 
you know, how to do it and how to stalk an animal and how to clean an animal and all that? Was there somebody? Did you have a, a, a guide? Did you have a mentor that was kind of taking you through that? And then did you just, was it just trial and error with the way you were preparing your, your kills to find out this is unbelievable and I can't wait to share this with people? What was the process there? How'd that happen? Well, I think, uh, you know, just in the way that I learned to cook, there were a lot of other people that, that kind of showed me the ropes as far as that went. But more so than cooking, because hunting is way more of a solitary endeavor, uh, there was a lot more trial and error and a lot more mistakes made on my own part, uh, which, you know, as I think as anyone grows older, it's like you start to relish those mistakes more. I, I like going on a hunt these days where I don't get anything almost as much as one where I do get something um, as long as I've learned, you know, a, a lesson in the process. Um, and I think that's basically what turkey hunting is, if you've ever been turkey hunting. Oh, I have just, just recently, <laughs> actually, one of our, our co-founders, Heath Brown, he he is obsessed with turkey hunting. So this past year yeah. when we got shut down and we weren't able to train the kids during the spring with the football team, we just said, all right. And I he literally became his like apprentice turkey hunting. And he took me through the whole thing and it was the coolest spring I've ever had. And it's unbelievably yeah. hard. Turkey hunting. It's is, it doesn't very make, hard. It doesn't make any sense. What are they doing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, the ultimate chess game. And, uh, yeah, but I mean, I mean, as an example, I think that, you know, you, you can still learn from things like, like that. Like I, like this season, I, I, Turkey's taught me a ton of lessons, uh, this season. So, uh, but going back to, to, to how I, I was, you know, like learned it. Um, but also I, I came into hunting already being trained as a butcher through my career, in restaurants. So I already knew how to butcher the cold animal on the table. I just had to figure out how to get it from, you know, from a hundred yards, a hundred yards away to cold, cold on the table. So, Mm. so you went from, you went from bus boy to butchery. You Mm. You literally lived in every single spot and position you can in a restaurant. Yes. I, I mean, I, I was a busser, uh, bartender, waiter, manager, and then into the kitchen, uh, line cooking, uh, sous chef. I made pasta for a year uh, and then, you know, prep cook and butcher. Um, I've done bread making pastry. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've worked all around. Was uh, all the of this did, in, in the back of your head? Were you playing out this? movie that one day this was I I'm going to culminate all of this into this restaurant and I'm going to have this and this and this or was this something that was just part of the the journey as you kind of walked down it uh, no I, I always had that focus I knew what I wanted to do from from pretty early on in my cooking career you know once you you know I had a few years under under my belt um, I, I had an idea of what I wanted um, you know, and it was this uh, this sourcing model, really. Uh, and you know, just I wanted nice, simple food, wild food, 
cooked over fires, uh, and that's it. <laughs> you yeah. know, and and and, uh, and that's what we did. Where does this and I'm and I'm very I, I it's very appealing. It's very it's it's rare that you 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 have this this sort of never ending craving for new knowledge, new experiences, new learning experiences, but also a desire to share it with people. Um, one of the most off-putting things to me of is, is, and I always talk about the, is I love the idea, like surfing, like, but I hate surfers. Motorcycles are awesome. I can't stand bikers because they make it so inaccessible they make it they want their their first lesson you know first rule of fight club is to make you feel disqualified like why do i have to feel like a turd because you're good at standing up on a piece of foam and riding away like i don't understand why you have to make me feel dumb just please help me and it seems like you're like okay i just learned this and i can't wait to go share it with somebody and that's really refreshing yeah, I I mean I I've loved uh teaching uh since you know we first started the business and I first started offering classes I realized that that was a a great part of it. Um and I really really enjoy it. I'm working on my second book right now. Um and just I, I love getting knowledge out there um to people I mean, and empowering them because it's I mean no nobody's going to go and open up a restaurant, you know, down the street from me. That's just like ours. Right. Uh, I don't feel this need to take all of that knowledge and, and hoard it for some reason. But, uh, the more people we can get on board with thinking about where at least a little bit of their food comes from, it's going to be better for everyone. It's going to be better for my kid. Uh, it's going to just be a better world. And, and I think that, and, and it's just enjoyable having those connections, you know, taking someone hunting for the first time and watching them shoot their first deer or pig uh, and then helping them process it. Uh, and then, you know, you get an email uh, the next week with a bunch of pictures of all you know, their freezers full. And their kids are eating, you know, pork chops, you know, wild boar chops for the first time. And, and that to me is like it, that's that's phenomenal. That doesn't get any better. Um to empower people like that. And I think that, uh, you know, education, uh, culinary education really allows you to give so much. It's an, it's an ongoing, uh, uh, thing that they can apply throughout the rest of their lives, you know, and just like key concepts in cooking or cleaning a deer or this or that, you know, and it's just, I think it's, a it's very rewarding work for me. Yeah. I, and as if you weren't busy enough, you have an actual school set up for people to be able to learn these these tactics and start to finish from the hunt, yes. from the fish, to bringing it to the table, to preparing it, to serving the dinner with you. And it's called the New School of Traditional Cookery, correct? Yes. Now, it's not, it's not a, uh, a place. It's mobile. Uh, so the school is technically a van that's loaded with pretty much every implement that you would ever need uh, to shoot a hog and turn it into ham. Uh, but we, we move around uh, and we do a lot of private events. Um, 
you know, for people on their ranches, on their land, or, you know, at the coast, wherever. Um, and, and, uh, that's, that's been pretty formative too. And, and for the past probably two years, that has been my primary focus as far as the businesses go, because I have a, someone in place at the restaurants that I have executive chefs at both restaurants that are running the day to day very well. Um, and based and and frankly, improving those restaurants beyond any point that I ever had them at, uh, which is also very rewarding, but it's enabled me to focus on the, on the new school, uh, almost primarily, uh, for the past couple of years. I, you know, I can imagine that, uh, the, the impact that you have on these people and I, I watched it and it started to make me think about this and the the yeti presents film that they made uh full bore uh and the young man that was working in your restaurant and you took him out hunting and you and you taught him how to do it and you taught him how to clean the hog and you taught him how to prepare it and i mean it it was it you could tell he was just uh, i mean having the time of his life and he was very very appreciative that you were sharing that experience with him and this and to the point to where like i almost i mean this sounds ridiculous and my wife would roll her eyes at me but like i almost got emotional because it's uh you know as a uh, my my father passed away when i was seven years old and he was like hemingway of an outdoorsman you know like just unbelievable but i missed out on all of that experience so like i feel like every day i'm like playing catch up like just trying to learn as much as I possibly and just immersing myself in the whole deal and looking like an idiot and failing and all that sort of stuff. And this is almost like a, a cathartic experience to just gather information from people that are world class at what they do. But just the fact that you, I mean, you're, you're, you're touching a, a very vulnerable part in a young man's heart that doesn't know how to do these things that for centuries that was how you were considered a man and I really think that instinctually, no matter how disconnected we get from our own human nature, that's still there. And for you to know that that's important to help a human being to be uh, competent in, there's something very powerful to that. And I know you already know that, but I want people to be able to realize what's going on there. There's more of an exchange taking place than making ribs. Right. Well, I mean, You've expressed that very well, and I appreciate that. And I mean, that's a very that's a very meaningful way to put it from your own perspective too, which I appreciate even more. Um, yeah, I, 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 I do. I, I and that's one of the reasons that I love that so much is because almost universally there is a connection between me and the clients. Maybe six people for a three day weekend, and at the end of it. You know, there's, you know, we're, we're closer and they've, you know, might not have had a successful hunt, but they are usually coming away with a lot of new skills and we try to, you know, load them up as much as we can. And, and, uh, it, it's been for everybody on the staff at the, at the new school, it's been, pe- people love that job because it is, it's a very rewarding, uh, thing to do for precisely the way that you just said because it does it, it's it it strikes a nerve with people and you know we focused on new hunters 
um, quite a bit on people that don't have opportunity to hunt. We focused a lot on, on teaching women how to hunt. Um, because I always felt like that was really important as well. It's like that. We can't forget that, you know, like anybody that wants to get out there and do that needs to have a, an easy point of entry, uh, in a, in a situation that is going to be very comfortable, uh, for them, you know, where there's not going to be uh, a lot of judgment or, or like these, these barriers that are, put up for some reason or another usually the egotistical uh reasons um just and just make it a very open thing where if you if you feel uh, emotional after killing an animal or you don't want to kill a deer for some reason you know we always before every class we always say that like hey if you don't feel like shooting a deer uh you don't have to and and you know how many times they've chosen not to shoot the deer yeah never 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 <laughs> never all right i'm gonna kill you <laughs> yeah yeah pretty much but uh you know but we still put it out there yeah. but yeah i think that uh it is uh it's a very rewarding uh line of work and i and i'm also sad because right now we can't do it um yeah. you know it's like uh, this year is looking you know complicated at, at best as far as the future of that you know we're looking forward to next year but it's but we're going to just try to take that with some grace and, 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 you know, when we can't put on classes right now, we're going to refocus on doing other things, you know, like working on a, working on a book that, you know, anyone can hold, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I don't have to be in a, a little box with them, yes. uh, you know, for three days, uh, and, and, you know, something like that. So we're trying to, you know, just make, make the most of the situation, and uh, and and continue on with that educational route. Well, that's the the segue I wanted to make. I mean, your this is if you were like, what's your your dream job? I don't even like. This is it for me. Like you, you get to take people out to these excursions and experiences, and then make these feasts with them. And I mean, and 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 the restaurant and everything that you've got going on. But that in the best of days that's not an that's not an easy gig it was as hard as it as you can think of a a day of work that you could put in and now it's it's really really difficult um so what so what's what what's been the impact and i i know we're everybody's been affected and and it's so it's so muddied up and political and stupid now, but the bottom line is people are being affected, whether it's they've lost a family member to this daggone virus or their business is being altered or whatever it is. How has this affected you? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the making it so overtly political has affected me the the most. Um, And that it's just like, it's, it's painful for someone that's in the hospitality industry to voluntarily close their restaurants doors uh to people because that's what we want we don't obviously do it to make money because none of us make any money doing it um but we do it because we we love it and for us to close our doors means a lot to us it's it's a hard stance to take um and the financials not notwithstanding you know that's you know that's been devastating um and and not knowing what the right thing to do is either and that's also very Mm -hmm. difficult like we don't we don't have any idea 
whether you know keeping our doors closed this whole time has uh, made a positive effect for our community or not. We don't. But, you know, we have you have to make a choice in this situation. Some people have chosen to open their doors as much as possible. Okay, and we've so chosen. it's not it's not a mandated thing. You this is a decision that you. Yes, we best. we could be operating at 50 percent capacity in our dining room right now. And we still have our doors closed and we're doing takeout only. Uh, and we've been doing that since March uh, 16th. Mm. Um, and it's it's been hard. I mean, it's. We, we have a grocery component to the restaurant. We have a butcher shop and we sell things like flour and cornmeal and honey and butter and produce and other things that we can source uh, locally. And then we, we sell that. So we have a bit of a market going as well. Um, and we're on kind of a, a, you know, skeleton crew of staff right now. But, you know, I think like, like I said, the hardest things that, that I've had to endure to this is just, uh, not knowing what to do, not knowing what the right decision is, and then the kind of agony that you go through with making a decision, and then you feel like you're alienating or angering half the people, no matter what you do. And you know, yes. and our, our, and what, and I'm not trying to whine because people are dying, you know, right now, and so just these, you know, just because I'm upset <laughs> doesn't really have much weight. Uh, but you know what we 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 want it we want our doors to be open but we're not opening them because we just have to take a position and we're taking that position not out of any kind of political stance but just because what we felt would be best for primarily our staff mm-hmm. and then secondarily our customers because our customers Customers that go to a restaurant get to make the choice to go to a restaurant. The staff that works at the restaurant doesn't have as much of a choice in that uh, interaction. And so um, I listen to my staff and, uh, you know, we have remained closed. Now, financially, it's been okay. We've done all right. You know, we, we do a fairly brisk go business and we're... We're hustling in any way we can. And we're about to open up our patio. It's about to get, uh, the weather will, should start to improve in about a month here. And our patio is very beautiful. And we're going to start opening it up to outdoor seating. And then uh, we'll see. Maybe by winter we're, we're at 50% or 100%. I cannot wait to open the doors and welcome people back into the restaurant. Our other restaurant is completely closed and has been since March 16th. We have, I mean, it's just been like doors locked. Um, and then, you know, the new school had, uh, April was its biggest month ever, uh, or was going to be its biggest month ever. And we ended up canceling, uh, all every single event in April. Um, and it was, that was real devastation right there. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say some restaurants are faring better than others. Uh, we're, we're alive right now and i think it's a day-by-day thing and uh we're you know just trying to you know like i said keep the staff safe keep the community safe within how we can even understand the situation and even you know it's just so sad that like even these days like just saying well you know in our opinion you know people are just like well that's that's wrong you know and it's like Mm. well i i don't really know we're we're playing it we're obviously playing it safe um, but you know, like, I, 
I, I always make the point of like concealed handguns are welcome in the restaurant, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, but you know, also when we open the patio, we're going to require that you wear a mask, you know, so you can be packing, put your, I mean, it's like, I, all these things, you know, there, there can be some crossover in all yeah. these, uh, belief systems. And, you know, it's like, I, I would love to, to think that at any point there are five responsible people sitting in my restaurant that have uh, a concealed handgun license and they know what to do yeah. in case of an emergency. Um, you know, so it's, it's, I, I think that that's prudent. And I also think that, you know, like, uh, wearing masks is prudent, but that's, that's just what I've gathered. Um, and it's just, it's a hard, it's definitely a hard place to be these days for, for everyone. And it, it was hard before the virus to just be a person of reason without saying, yeah, we probably ought to wear masks and being accused of being a snowflake or saying, you know, guns are okay. And being accused of being a, you know, extreme right, you know, out of your mind. Per like, it's just, it's so polarized that it's, it's ridiculous. And instead of being able to just, um, it's it's tough that you you can't just follow your consciousness and your heart as what you think is right and treating people around you right, but it, it you have to join some team, you know, team mask versus no mask versus Trump right. Trump versus Biden, and it, it's ridiculous. And we don't have to, and it's refreshing to hear that. Just we don't know for sure. Let's all check our yeah. our fear. You know, fear. I always said is is egos, uh, you know, nasty, dirty uncle. And yeah. it's, it's really yeah. where it's all coming from. Um, yes. It's, it's speaking of, and, and I wanted to, to not miss this point, and we talked to it before we started recording, but I came across who you were. Um, we had Miles Nolte on this show. and uh, He's awesome. Just the coolest <laughs> guy ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then we had Alvin on, and then I mean, it was, and then so I'm like, I have to after watching, and it was my favorite episode of the Das Boat when you guys when you went out with Alvin on the river, and um, and and you were just saying like, we we're gonna we're gonna catch a largemouth bass and we're gonna eat it for lunch, you know, and and it's yeah. like, wait a second, it's not about holding it at the right angle and and taking the instagram picture and it's not about making it, it i remember you said one time i don't want to go to a high fence farm and kill a horse with antlers i want to kill a deer and i want to cook it for dinner with my family because that's what hunting is and and it's it's about catching dinner and feeding your family and the I don't know how if it was you can't blame it all on Instagram how this this trophy culture or whatever you want to call it is of just maybe it's just it's as, it's as old as sin is just trying to make everybody uh accept you but we missed out and and you're it's it, you, you're helping us navigate our way back into what this thing was all about and it's about time with people loving the time outside in beautiful places that are near our house 
You know, another thing is, right. listen, and, and Steve Ranella goes on record saying his favorite restaurant in Austin is Die Dewey, and that's no small feat. And I don't, nobody loves watching that show more than, than me, but I'm never probably going to draw a sheep tag and leave my family and spend $25,000 in Alaska and go kill a sheep. It's not going to happen. But yeah. if I got a Sunday morning, I might be able to go get a, a, a doe and, or I might be able to go get, catch some bluegill with my seven-year-old and we'll fry it up in the skillet and have the time of our lives. And I don't, I'd rather, I'd rather do that. <laughs> now, you know, and why yeah. is that? Because I'm I, with you on that too. But why is that? I just find an intense satisfaction in staying close to home and, and catching, like, I feel like that's mine. Like, if I can travel 30 minutes from where I'm standing right now and shoot a pig, which I've done, and I feel like that's my pig. I feel like that elk in Montana, somebody else's. Mm. Uh, I mean, it kind of comes back to the way that we source at the restaurant. Now that is, and I have to, I have to definitely put the caveat on there that that is my personal feeling. I don't care what you do. Yeah. And if you really want to go shoot that elk, I would love to hear the story. I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I think that's amazing and it's fun. But for me personally, I just like sticking kind of close to home. And that's not to say that I don't like to go down to the coast for four days and catch blue crabs. And hang out with my friends, you know. I mean, I absolutely like to do that too. But I still feel like that's that's my my home stretch right in there. Um, and yeah, it, for me, it is it is about it is about food. Uh, I mean, I don't I don't hunt anything that I'm not I don't hunt anything that I don't love to eat. And in fact, there's some things that I don't hunt or fish for because I just don't really love to eat them mm. that much. Uh, and I'm very open about that. And you know, I think, you know, it's funny when you're talking about things like, like reasons and trophies and stuff like that. I mean, it's just like we measure deer in inches. I mean, and if that's not, it doesn't take a psychiatrist <laughs> to, to illuminate. Going. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I don't have to yeah. say anything else. I mean, yeah. it doesn't take a psych to illuminate that. I put up a picture of a turkey uh, that I shot on Instagram this spring and, and, I, I, several people were like, well, how long were the spurs? How oh, long yeah. was the beard? Yeah. And I was like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I didn't even check. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I didn't save the spurs. Like I did, I cut the beard off because I think they look cool, but I, I've never put it on a tape measure. Yeah. Um, yeah, but the thing it's, was, it's like is, the guy with the the neon lights under the eight inch lifted truck, like, hey man, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, that turkey was forty minutes away uh, from my house, mm. and it was a, a magnificent hunt. I mean, it took me an hour and a half of talking to him to try to get him to come in. My gun misfired when he came within range and I had to rack another shell in there and to shoot him. And he was banded. He had a, he had a biologist band around his, no around his leg. So he was even like, it was just like, and I got to talk to the biologist and find out how old that Turkey was. And he was over six years old, which oh is an goodness. ancient Turkey. Yeah. yeah. You know, 
but how long is beard? I mean, that's a, that's a human uh, quality that we're trying to attach to, to an animal that was, uh, I mean, just an incredible animal, you know, and what an honor it was to spend an hour and a half with it and then, and then eat it, <laughs> you right. know, to put it in those terms and, and, and be home that evening, you know, and I, the money I spent was on some, you know, you know, quarter tank gas and, uh, you know, does some ice basically. And yeah. I, I, I feel, I feel really good about that. Mm. I mean, yeah. I mean, and, and that's, that's what it is. That's what it's all. I don't, you know, other than you can make somebody buy your product. If you convince them that that's not what it's about. And it's about like, I literally laughed out loud. I was just doing some research and was on your Instagram page and, and you had, a, I think it was a bunch of crappie on a string and somebody commented, you call those keepers and you go, Nope, I just like to terrorize the fish and game people. Like it was just, it was just cracking me up. It's just, just it's always, there's always that guy. There's always yeah. that guy to, to make some stupid comment. And instead of just saying like, Man, good on you for going out and enjoying your life and not just scrolling some more on your phone. And 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 instead we like to we love to hate, man. We love to hate. Yeah. I mean, and it's and you you eventually just conquer that with maybe a little bit of sarcasm, but mostly positivity. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think it's just it's permeated hunting culture extensively and fishing culture also. Um, the reason, you know, I mean, walk into any big box outdoor store like a Cabela's or a Bass Pro Shops, um, and it is, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, it's an amusement park in there. Yes. Basically, it is crazy, you know, about all the products that you need, and you know, I think you know, going back to it, the. If you can, you know, hop in the truck with a rod and, you know, a handful of split shot and some hooks and go catch some bait, which is, you know, like something else that I love to do is is catch bait uh, because you can't start fishing until you do that thing. And I love that, like, preliminary challenge. But, like, you go out and catch some bait and then you go and you catch, like, one catfish you know, out of the river. And it's like, ah, to me that, and then you get so much food out of, you know, let's say it's three, three, three and a half pound catfish, you know, and that's like, that's a meal for everyone. Uh, right there, totally worth it. You know, and yeah. it's, it's just the simplicity of that is very appealing to me. And you can be convinced that you need a lot more gear than you actually do. Yes. Uh, you know, and I think that people that are, that, that comes back to the point of entry for new hunters, fisher, fishermen is that they are just, they're like, well, where do we even start? It seems so convoluted with all the gear and products that we need to have. And it's like, Oh no, no. You know, what kind of rifle? I mean, well, you know, whatever cheap one, put, Does it put, shoot? you know, yeah. yeah. You know, 60% of your budget into your rifle and 40% into your scope, mm -hmm. you know? And they're like, oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, it's that simple. Well, what brands do you, I mean, whatever you can afford, you know? Mm -hmm. well, what about my grandfather's rifle? That'll work. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. If it killed Germans, it'll kill a deer. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, there's, you, you strike me as someone that has literally given yourself a, 
a doctorate in knowing that the more I strain for something, the more effort I give, the more shameless, I'm going to use the word struggle, uh, the, the more I know I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, why do you, th why do we almost seemingly innate in our nature, it, we have to get out of our own way to get to that point? Because the, the, the first response is to, you know, avoid all inconvenience at all times. And that we're promised will make us happy and we're still miserable and we can't understand why. Uh, I mean, we've never seen the rate at which people are depressed or, or consider, have con contemplated killing themselves more than mm -hmm. they do right now. And, the, and we've never had mm -hmm. more stuff sitting in our house. We've never mm -hmm. had more things and more, you know, the, the average American has like one and a half cars. I mean, they have half a car, but that's the way the number worked out. So, yeah. and then that's more than anybody else on the planet. And we're just sad, sad boys all the time. And it's mm. totally connected to the struggle. It's the, our happiness. We, we have something we're working on or coming out and it's going to be happiness is roommates with your reference point. And when you can refer to how hard it was to get there, that's how your, your calibration to how happy you'll be. How did you get so in tune to knowing that the harder and deeper and more effort I give, the more this is going to be worth it? Uh, you know, I, I, I can't give you an answer. I really don't know how. And I mean, I appreciate that, um, that, that those words, that's very, very kind. But I, I think that I've always, almost to my detriment, have ex appreciated experience over things. Um, you know, I, I don't like to stand up and eat. I like to sit down and eat. Uh, you know, and preferably with another person, things like that. And I think that when we lose touch of, it's just, it sounds so inane to say things like that. It's just the intangibles uh, that are, that have uh, a lot more importance uh, than, than the tangibles. And now more than ever, when it's like, you can have anything delivered to your door uh, within 24 hours and the conveniences, even in spite of what's going on in the world, it's the conveniences, uh, is extreme, but it's still not making us happy. Um, and it's because we lack, we lack experience. We lack connection mm. and that's either to other people. It's to the outdoors. It's with other people in the outdoors. It's with the, the, the animal world, the natural world. Um, because in, in the natural world, success is, uh, is, is chaos you know there's there's no such thing right out there and when you uh go out and you 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 miss that turkey or you make uh, a bad choice and where you set up or you turn your head at the wrong time and everything goes wrong you know in our society we're we're taught to immediately try to place blame on what made that happen but mm -hmm in that situation, blaming the Turkey is asinine, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, so you learn that it's not about the Turkey. You also are not going to starve that night, you know? So, yeah. so you've got that, that's, that's a luxury. Yeah. 
the, the I'm not going to starve because I, I screwed that turkey hunt up. Uh, so, but that, I think that connection and that, that, uh, commitment and grace, uh, around failure, uh, is, is very enjoyable. Like I was, I think I said earlier in the, in the talk of saying failure is almost as compelling anymore to me as success. Well, which is, that's, that's, I don't know what's past getting your doctorate, but that's, Guru, that's Yoda stuff. When you start appreciating, <laughs> when you start appreciating failure, I remember speaking of Miles. I remember because it makes me think of. I said, "Why are we happier? You know, what makes us happy about going out and getting and and getting covered in mud and just getting up in the middle of the night to go chase this wild animal that is better at being out there than we are?" And he says, "I think it just removes." all of the layers of what we're saying you have to have checked off to be happy and it just becomes really simple it's no longer esoteric i got you know right. i don't I, I, well if i if i if i network with this guy then i might get this job and he'll people will think this of me and then, and then i'll finally be happy where it's just we have to go over this hill if we're going to find this turkey and it's pretty yeah. simple. And when I get to that turkey, it's going to be cool. <laughs> and, and that's it's yeah. as simple as it gets. And, and, man, have we made this experience on this planet way more complicated than it needs to be. Um, yeah. And our food and everything else. So, well, you have some, uh, some really cool content um, and, and works that people – um, need to be aware of your your first book was called uh, a field correct a chef's guide yes. to preparing and cooking wild game which was a james beard award nomination correct yes i sound like i know what i'm talking about i just know james beard is like the equivalent of uh oscar i know that so when you when yeah you, when you when you it's, get yeah that, it's like the, the food oscars yeah yeah it's the foodie oscars so when you get that you, you got it going on. Um, check out uh, Full Bore, the Yeti story. Check him out on um, the Das Boat Season 1 with him and the other shameless, shameless over here, man-child guest, uh, Alvin Dado, who's one of the coolest human beings that you can meet. Um, Absolutely. Just, just, man, anything else? Am I missing anything? What do, what do the people need to hear? Uh, nothing else. I, I would like to thank you for uh, such a uh, easy uh, conversation. Um, it's uh, you know sometimes you get approached with with the opportunity go on a podcast or something like that. You don't know ever how how, how it's going to go, and I, I I very much enjoyed um, the the concept behind uh, your show and uh, how you execute it. I think is just it, it's. It's very good, and it's definitely inspired me to go back and listen to a bunch of uh, other people that you've talked to. So I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to to talk to you and and uh, your your listeners out yeah. there too. So um, yeah, I yeah, I, 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 don't I, think, I don't know how many there are yet. We don't check that because we don't want to hurt our own feelings. So we just we just keep on plugging along. Uh, but we have, including yourself, have had the opportunity to talk to some. Um, incredible people on some incredible 
they're they're on the right path and 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 you're and you've inspired me chef thank you very much sir and hang in there man i don't know i don't know what i can do for you other than i don't know but uh it'll be over soon i hope yeah me too yeah you too hey have a great night See? See? I told you, this guy, he's incredible. He's one of the good ones, man. One of the good ones. And uh, just for him to decide to respond to us, give, contacting him and asking him to be on this and not knowing who we were from a hole in the wall and giving us the time of day really speaks to the kind of person he is. And uh, I'm very, very thankful for it. Okay? Check out his film, The Yeti Story. Uh, um full bore check out his episode in the season one of das boat with alvin dodo another guest um on the on the show here and uh when they went fishing in um on the river down there in austin and just and made lunch from a largemouth bass and just just keeping it simple keeping it cool keeping it cozy um man what a guy. Guys, thank you as always to our writer, our creator, our performer of the man-child intro jingle to David Lessing up there in Hamiltucky, Ohio. Thank you to all uh, Scott Kellums for keeping running and tracking all of the orders coming in for the man-child brand. Thank you to Heath Brown for putting up with just all the things that go on with this. Thank you to Patrick Davis up there in Hamiltucky. Uh, with the sound engineering and the and the website designs that he has had so much of a hand on, and I know you, I hope you're doing great up there, buddy. All right, guys, take care, struggle well, treat each other well, and uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a great day. Make it. It's gonna be a great day because you made it a great day. All right, we'll see you guys later on down the road. Bye. I got my knife.
shotgun We can have lots of fun down the highway Chick Blunt